And could you please turn uh, to the same page you've just been on, page five of your order of service. I'm going to read uh, a passage from the Bible. Uh, it's from uh, a letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four. And it's the passage that uh, Nigel, who you've already met, getting wet outside, is going to be speaking to us on in a few minutes. Let me read to you. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, good morning again. It really is excellent to see you. Uh, if you're new, um, just because you're passing through and you just happened upon a baptismal service, welcome. If you're a friend, if you're a buddy, if you're family, welcome. Um, if you're someone I've missed, you're welcome too. Uh, if you come here normally, good to see you. Uh, it was Mars Bar who nicked the phrase a few uh, years ago. Mars Bars, that sugar addict um, kind of hit that it gives to us with 100 grams of sugar in an 80 gram bar or whatever it is. Mars Bar somehow, with that sugar rush, helps you to work, rest and play. Remember that little statement from a long time ago, work, rest and play? And uh, this is a tricky passage of the Bible, but it's one word really, it's rest. It tells you what rest is and how to get it. Uh, rest is of uh, short supply in our household at the minute. Some of that is self-inflicted. A new child has arrived. Uh, she, I've forgotten her name as well, but she's not called Matthew. She's called Kimberly. She's six days old. She is the most beautiful girl in all the world. Any father, I hope, would uh, think the same of their daughter. But rest is in short supply. And it doesn't matter if you're a new dad again. 
It doesn't matter if you really long for a Mars bar because you just need to get through till five o'clock. My thought for you is this, because this is what the Bible says. Rest is in really short supply. Doesn't matter what age you are, what stage of life you're at, rest is in short supply. That's what this passage is talking about. Rest is in short supply. There's a, an article that I read a couple of weeks back when I was thinking about this message. Thought I'd better get it done in time because the baby was on the way. And uh, I read an article that said this, we live in the most overworked society that there's ever been. I'm not sure if that's true, but there's a couple of factors that I thought were helpful to think about why that may be true. Technology and uh, culture. Technology has brought many, many thousands of benefits to us as a new society, but technology when it comes to work is a double-edged sword, pun intended. Technology makes work more accessible to us, does it not? You can work anywhere. But then the other side of the sword, it makes us accessible to anyone that wants to work with us. So we can work, but also we're accessible to the work that we're doing. It makes us uh, pawns in a universal workplace. And so if you're producing a product, whatever it may be, you're not competing against your uh, co-worker next to you. You're not competing against your uh, shop uh, who, says, who sells the same product in the same town. You've now got a global workforce and a global marketplace that you're competing in. So technology makes rest in short supply. The world has shrunk because of technology, which is a good thing from God, but it's also a thing that makes things different. So, so work not just becomes global, work can. It has the potential, if you're in the workplace you know this, to become domineering. Work can do that in our lives. Work can become dominant in our lives. It's the first thing, that uh, rest is hard to come by because work and technology have mixed together. But there's a social thing as well I found very helpful. In previous generations, in different cultures around the world, we would get our identity not from our workplace. Our identity would come from our family. Our identity would come because we're a son and daughter of someone, great or small. Our identity would come because we're a husband and wife of someone important or not important, yeah? So technology has made us connected, but also there's a societal thing that's happened where we find our meaning now not in the original place, not in our family, not in our relationships, not in our identity of who we are as a person. It comes from elsewhere. And more often than not, this article said it comes from what we do. So is it not true you go to the pub to meet a friend? Not if you're under 18. You go to, unless you're having food, but you go to uh, the CU, you go to the sixth form college, you go somewhere else. What's the first thing you do? What are you studying? What do you do? What work do you do? Our work is where we get our identity. Technology, society have woven together to say, rest is a hard thing to come by. So when we open the Bible at Hebrews chapter 4, please open it on your service sheet. Rest is in short supply, it's the trouble we face, and so we're physically tired. But my tenet to you and the tenet of the Bible is this. It is not just physical rest that we need, we need a deeper rest. We are not just tired in our bones, we are tired in our hearts and in our souls. Because rest is in short supply. You can count them up later on, but if you look at uh, the first 11 verses of Hebrews 4, you'll count up rest about eight times. So it's a hard passage to look at because rest is the theme, eight times in 11 verses. But rest, the word rest, is used in up to four, if not more, different ways. 
I want to just look at two of them with you. Rest is used in different ways. I want to look at just two. To think about the two levels of rest, because rest is in short supply. Here we go, number one. In verse three, sentence number three, under the big four, sentence number three, it talks about the rest in the promised land. And it talks about a person called Joshua a little bit later on. In verse 3, it says this, sentence 3, where it says, I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That's God speaking. That's God warning his children, his big family in the Old Testament, in the first half of God's book, the Bible. And he's saying, if you keep behaving in this way, if you live your life ignoring me, putting your fingers in your ears, and turning and worshipping other gods and other things, you're never going to know what true, lasting rest is. Verse 3. Now, what does the word rest mean? I, I said that there's up to four different uses. I just want to look at two. Here's the first one. This is talking about people in a journey. They're basically caravanning or tenting, camping. Not glamping, camping, tenting. Not sure what that is. But it's a word that came into my mind. God's people are on a journey. They're in the desert. They've got no glamping resources, but they're heading for a land that God has promised. That land is physical. That land will have justice. That land will have social responsibility and social patterns that God has put in place. They're heading for rest. But that rest, that means physical, it means land, it means uh, a concrete place where you can live. Concrete won't be there, it hasn't been invented yet, but you know what I mean. It's a place where you can get dust between your toes, it's a place where you can have rest from your enemies who are fighting against you. That's the first use of the word rest that we find. Rest is a physical place. But one more aspect from that verse, from verse 3, saying, you will never enter my rest. It's physical, it's social, it's just, but it's freedom as well. God rescued his people from under the heel, from under the boot of a tyrant, one of the pharaohs in Egypt who didn't know who God was and wanted to do all he can to crush God's people. They were the first slave workforce, like people working beneath the minimum working wage. And God says, you are my people, and he rescued them miraculously with the strength of his arm. It's a picture of God's mighty power and strength. God rescued his people and says, I'm going to take you to a land that you can enjoy who I am. You're my people, and I will protect you. In other words, you were working your socks off. You had no rest, but I'm going to take you to a place of rest. So rest is physical, it's concrete, but it's also an understanding that work, which is a good gift from God, but it's got its boundaries. And so God says, you're going to observe the Sabbath day. You're going to have a day off once a week. What a great business model that is. Tell that to Little and Audi and other people. And Amazon, they're the worst. People who work, their employees really, really hard. Does anyone work for Amazon? But get the picture. Rest here is used physical, it's used concrete, it's social, it's freedom. It's the first definition of rest. Here's the second, verses 3, 4, and 5. Now we have to go back even further, not just to the middle or the beginning of the Old Testament. We need to go through to the first sentences of the whole Bible, or thereabouts. In sentence 3, 4, and 5, you'll read this. And yet his work had been finished since the creation of the world. Sentence 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. 
we're not going to the camping in the desert, the Israelites, God's people, we're going right further back. We're going to the moment in time when God spoke the world into being, when he created the world. It's a physical reality. But the writer in Hebrews chapter 4 wants to make a different point as he helps us to understand this word rest, which is really hard to get. It's physical, it's real. But when God rested, it means enjoyment of something that you've done. You know when you get to the end of a shift at work? You know when you get to the end of any lesson in school? You think, yeah! Well, I did anyway. You know when you get to the, the end of the last lesson when you're mucking around and it's the six weeks of summer holidays or more if you're in private school? Wouldn't that be great? You think, yeah, freedom. You know when you finish a work of art or a jigsaw puzzle or a knitting pattern or you finish washing the car like I did yesterday and it's a big car so it takes longer, you think, yeah, done, finished. Now times that by a billion and that's a little bit of what God felt when he spoke the world into being like a divine artist where his handiwork had finished. And he said, yes. Not only is it finished, I'm not tired, but it is good. That's what rest means, the second type of rest. Satisfaction, enjoyment, physical reality, things being finished. That is level one rest from Hebrews chapter four. But here's level two rest. And this is the rest that I want you to think about and I'd love for you to enjoy. This is a deeper rest. It's physical, but it's deeper because it talks about your heart and it talks about your soul. Because you know, parents especially, you can go on holiday, you move the chairs around in your life, you can put your feet up and watch Strictly again on Saturday night with your meal for £10 from M&S, and you're resting, right? But actually there's something going on in your heart so you can't sleep at night. There's something going on in your experience that actually makes you cry when you think about it. So you can have all the holidays in the world. You can watch Strictly or Great Rich Bake Off or whatever your poison is, but you're not at rest. That's because there's a deeper level of rest that Hebrews 4 talks about as well. Let's go deeper, verse 2 and verse 3 again. For we also have the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest. Becky, Michelle, Matthew, who we call now Reuben, they know something that is not just sleep, rapid eye movement. They know something in their hearts that's changed the way they interact with work, schoolwork, work in the workplace. So now they can enjoy and experience not just a physical rest, but a rest in the soul. That's what verses 2 and 3 are talking about. But how do you get that? That sounds great. Who wouldn't want deep REM rest of the soul? Not just casual sleep, but deep soul, like I enjoy every night, much to my wife's annoyance. The only way to enjoy rest like that, the only way to know deeper rest, from this verse is to believe a set of promises. That's what verse 2 and 3 says. Did you notice that? It's to believe a set of promises. In verse 8, it goes on to talk again about the rest that Joshua had in the land, but it talks and compares and contrasts to a greater rest, a lasting rest, a deeper rest. What is that rest? It's believing in a set of promises. It's believing through the gospel. That's why we ask those three questions when we're knee-deep in water, getting a bit chilly, wasn't too bad. 
saying, do you believe in these promises? Is there evidence in your life that something has happened in your mind that God has given you a new heart to respond to him? He's taken all the initiative. So now you are at rest and we want to celebrate that by dunking you in this tap water. It's emotional rest, it's physical rest, but this is spiritual rest and it's deeper. So you say, okay, well how do you get that? Here's the second point. If rest comes on two levels, there's the physical, social, there's the deeper level, but how do you get deep and lasting rest? Here we go, nearly finished. You need to go through an ordeal. This is the second and final birth reference, just in case you're squeamish. Last Sunday morning, 4.47, something like that, I saw a child being brought into the world again. Men, I'm glad I'm not a woman. There is something traumatic about bringing new life into the world. It is not a pleasurable experience. It is an ordeal. This passage says, if you are to know deep, lasting, soul-satisfying rest, you need to go through an ordeal. It's there in verse 12 and 13. There's this strange image towards the end of this chapter that talks so much about rest, and then the tone changes, and it gets quite scary if you read it carefully. It starts to talk about swords. It takes the Bible, the book that Christians hold so dearly, and say, it's like a double-edged sword. It's a sharp, sharp, sharp sword. It's almost like an axe, but there is the definition, the picture of a sharp sword. It's so sharp, it doesn't just cut flesh or bones. This can cleave into your soul. This can expose you in a way that no other book ever will. Because God who wrote this book knows you. And so as you read this book, if you've never done it before, I encourage you to do it. This book will expose your heart and soul. Notice verse 12, it says about cutting joints and and marrow. You might have bones and flesh. This book, because it's God's book, shows you what you really hold dear. It will reveal your true motivations. It will show you your passions. It will show you what you hold so precious in your life. And that will be painful for you. To become a Christian is to go on a journey where you will be changed forever by God. It's to go on a quest that if you go on a quest, you come back a different person. You don't come back the same. You come back changed. To grasp what rest is, verse 13 says, you will be exposed, you will be naked. Physically, no, not so much, but spiritually, yes. It takes us back to the first pages of the Bible again, to the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve who were naked and enjoyed their nakedness before sin and rebellion came into the world. If you come to God and say, I am not in a good place, Actually, I look okay on the outside. I live in Epsom and Yule. I'm kind of middle class or thereabouts. I vote conservative. Perhaps I don't. But I'm okay. I've got a good income. But if you come to God and say, actually, beneath this veneer, I'm a mess, you know that beneath this veneer, beneath this mask, when it slips, I'm a mess and I need your help. If you came to God and said that even this morning, it would be like a sword beginning to come into your experience as God exposes your heart, what you hold on to dearly. You need to stop saying, like every Christian has done throughout the history of the world, I'm okay, I am not okay, and neither are you. And when you come in contact with the Bible, you begin to see that for the first time. You begin to understand your drivenness. You begin to understand, actually, why you do work so hard. 
at school, in the workplace. You begin to understand why retirement is such a disappointment to you, because you thought it was going to be something that it's not. It has to be revealed to you, and God is in the business of doing that by his spirit. And when you go on this journey, which is not a hippie experience, but a thoroughly biblical one, when you go on this journey, when you stop saying, I'm okay, when you stop saying, I don't need help, when you stop saying those things, then you can see the hope of verse 10. Did you notice that? Verse 10 speaks about the rest, this deep rest. It says, there remains, there still is, then a, a Sabbath, a soul rest, a heart rest for God's people, for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. There's a lady, she's kind of old now, she's called Madonna. Apparently she sold about 65, 70 million records in MP3 songs. Remember records? She's the top-selling artist of the 20th century, but she said, this is why I write music. This is why I perform. I have an iron will, says Madge. I have an iron will. And all my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's what's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become a somebody, I still have to prove that I'm a somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. I've got houses on every continent, more millions in the bank than you can ever imagine. And here's somebody who says, it's not enough. I need to prove myself. She doesn't know rest in any definition that Hebrews 4 is talking about. Friends, do you know the rest that this is talking about? There's nothing wrong with work. Christians are to work hard, never work shy, never retreating to a kind of monastic experience or existence. But Hebrews chapter 4 is saying this, there is a deep soul rest that you can know that will reshape why you work, that will re-motivate you as you work hard, that will help to love people who are difficult to love. Because verse 12 and 13 says this, Whilst each one of us is trying to justify ourselves, whilst each one of us will be, have our souls displayed before God, each one of us will have to give an account to the God who rules the whole cosmos. There is hope before the one to whom we will give an account. And it's there in verse 14 and 15. It talks about a priest, someone who goes before God and brings something that will satisfy God who will judge the world. And what does this person bring? The gospel, the good news that our three friends believe is that this high priest has bought himself. It's talking about Jesus. He's not bringing anything in his hands. He's bought his own life. 2,000 years ago on dusty streets outside Jerusalem, the maker of the whole world died on the cross. God came down. That's the good news. We don't go up to God and work hard and justify ourselves like Madonna. It will never be enough. And God knows that, so God came down. That's the good news of Christmas. And verses 14, 15, and 16 say, we have someone who is merciful, someone who knows we can't work hard enough, someone who knows we're broken, someone who can see beneath the veneer, someone who says, I know you'll never pass the record. I know you'll never be good enough. So I'm going to come and rescue you. 
That's the good news why three people want to get dunked in water. Because on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus worked so that we can rest. Jesus was stripped naked, not just in his heart, he was physically stripped naked as soldiers bidded for his clothing that he was wearing. He was stripped naked, he was ripped apart physically, emotionally, cosmically, as God the Father poured out his judgment and justice on God the Son in my place and in the place of Becky and Michelle and Reuben. And there's enough grace for you and me as well. God cried out to his Father. Jesus cried out, why have you left me all alone? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you deserted me? And because Jesus was deserted, it means that we never will be if we become Christians. He was stripped naked so that we can be clothed. He knew no rest so that we can enjoy, not physical rest that passes, but deep soul satisfying rest. And so when the eyes of no one is on you, and when his eyes are on you, that is enough for you if you're a Christian. And so the self-justification that Madonna and each one of us seek to do is because we long to get a well done and a pat on the back. That will never come in enough quantity and enough frequency from anyone in this world, from a parent that never gave it to you when you were little, from a employee or an employer who doesn't notice how hard you work it'll never be enough you'll always be overlooked you always have harsh words said against you but here is a god who is merciful who knows you who loves you even unto death for you do you know him personally like becky reuben and michelle do and because jesus worked in another part of the bible in the book called matthew someone who wrote down an account of his life he wrote down a sentence from Jesus that I want you to remember if you remember nothing else. Matthew wrote down this sentence. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what Jesus Christ said. Don't come to me when you work hard enough. Don't come to me when you church enough. Don't come to me when you read enough books. Don't come to me when you're older. Come to me now, and I will give you deep, soul-satisfying, quenching rest. Come to me by believing what I've done for you. Come to me by believing the promises that I've made for you that will never be broken. Come to me. And when you come to me, says Jesus, you will find rest that will satisfy you. It won't help you work, rest, and play, but it really will help you rest. Let's pray together. Father, rest is in short supply, and yet in Jesus there is rest in abundance because he worked. 2,000 years ago, he labored. He was stripped naked so that we can be clothed in his righteousness, so that we can be approved and feel the smile of his face. We celebrate today with Becky, with Michelle, and with Reuben what you've done in their lives. Please continue to lead them and guide them, protect them, and mature them in all the days that you would give to them, we pray. Amen. Amen.